Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Good morning, church. Before I get started with the sermon today, this is um, a a happy and sad day for us, and that is that Kirsten, who has been our creative director for years now, and who comes up with all the pretty things that you see, and comes up with all the themes, and comes up with the special videos and the like, she, um, for some reason, is tired of working 80 hours a week for for 15 hours a week pay, She's done this so well, and she has a real job that's full-time as well. Plus, she's married, and we all know Jay. That's got to take time. Uh, But but Kirsten, if you would just come up, we want to just say thank you and say a prayer for you. Uh, She's already ready for New Year's. uh, I'm still here. Uh, I don't know if you can see me now, but I'm I'm still here. There you go. Thank you. You. We've never asked you to do anything that you didn't do better than we imagined, ever. Uh, and you have just been stellar. And so she is uncomfortable in the, in the um, limelight. And so I'm just going to do a little prayer and let her scurry off. But we cannot thank Kirsten enough. And thank you who've been writing in saying the same. Father, we adore Kirsten and Jay. And we pray that you will fill them with grace and peace that you will bless them as they have blessed us, not just today, but years and years and years for the rest of their lives. Thank you for the love they've given us, the effort they've given us, for the time she said yes and the time she said no to help direct us where we needed to be. And bless her now as she joins the ranks of many of our people in what we call a pajama or bathrobe church. And we pray that you will give her rest and that you will give her joy. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you. God bless you. The, um, you can't see them, but they're still applauding. They're throwing money. It's, um, some have thrown their babies high into the air. So it is, um, but we are, we are thrilled and thrilled and thrilled. We really are and hope for the best. And just very, very quickly, thank you. Uh, this is just what I was handed this morning, but we're, the cards, support, the love, thank you. That means a lot. It really does. So there we go. There's a story told, and I think it's actually kind of misogynist, and I'm pretty sure it never happened, but it's used a lot in preachers, by preachers. Uh, and it will, and again, a little troubled, they always make it the woman, brings a car into a shop saying, every time I turn, there's a big loud thunk in the back of the car, and it obviously, you know, um, there are axle problem or something. And she was quite surprised when the um, mechanic came back five minutes later and said, it's fixed. And she said, well, what was wrong? And he said, I just removed the bowling ball from the trunk, uh, the, the boot, as we would say in some of our favorite places. Well, I doubt that that ever happened because it's just too, too, you know, wrapped up of a story. But the fact is, we do carry too much. 
we carry too much. And if you read the newsletter, which I hope you did, and if you don't get it, uh, please send us a note at info at rsafeharbor.com. But that entire newsletter was about what we carry, and it's just too much. We carry too much in our luggage. Whenever you go overseas, or any trip at all, really, the rule is, and it's a real rule, lay everything out that you're going to take, your money and your clothes on your bed. Take half as many clothes, twice as much money. Because every single time, that's going to work for you. In our cars, if you are living north of the Mason-Dixon line in America, we know what that is over here, but if you live in colder climes, take the golf clubs out of your car. It's not going to suddenly show up to be a warm day for you. And those of you that like to play in the winter are just strange. And so I'm not, I'm not going to mess with you. Uh, there are things we carry. Have you seen kids struggling under the weight of backpacks? Used to be you'd leave all that in your lockers and then things became a different world, didn't they? And we were afraid of what was left in lockers. And so now they have to take them home. Some kids now get a break because they're in school systems that allow them, all their books are on a laptop computer and everybody gets one. But most kids are still carrying too much home. And doctors have warned us about the long-term issues of carrying too much stuff. But we seem to ignore it. I think we can all agree, if you're carrying too many things, you need to get rid of some of them. And that reminds me of an interesting moment I had with a lady that was sent to me by doctors back when I was running a counseling practice. So this is some time ago. And this is another story that seems like it's too neat and tied up with a bow. So all, all I can tell you is it did happen, but it only happened once in my entire counseling life. So it is rare. This woman had been sent to me. Uh, they had looked and looked for, for what, what's causing her back pain. And if you've ever had back pain, you know it's not as simple as anybody tells you. It can be a real struggle. She had tried in our local area, all the MDs, the DOs, the physical therapists, the chiropractors, no relief at all. A couple of them recommended that they, she come to me to see if there was some sort of a psychological issue that was exacerbating the problem. Um, maybe I would use, they told her, hypnosis or biofeedback. I didn't use those. But, um, and, especially, and by the way, if you're trying to use hypnosis for, to dull pain, don't do that. Because pain is a signal. And you don't want it dulled. You want to find out why it's there. All right, commercial over. Moving on with that. She was plainly worn down, the heavy bags under her eyes. And pain will do that. I know about pain, and pain will do that to a person. And I asked her, tell your story. Go over all the things that you've tried. And, and she did, and that took quite a while. But while she was doing that, she was also telling me bits about who she was and her life. I asked leading questions to get more and more information be and took all the time we needed because I had been taught by some of the best that whenever you see a person who is suffering, you do not look for the disease. You do not ask, what disease does this person have? You ask, what person has this disease? Because we are individuals and we come as a package and pain and disease is only one part of it. So who is this person? 
And finally, after quite a while, we'd cleared the morning, I think, for this one lady. And she was certainly worth it. At some point, I leaned forward and I looked at her and I said, So, who's on your back? Who are you carrying? And her jaw dropped open and her eyes opened wide. And we began to talk and a new avenue was found. Because it seems that there had been a psychological thing, a wearisome thing, a burden she had been carrying. And it was some of her family members that were weighing her down. And the pain was her shout for help. The only kind of shout she could do because she was one of these take charge women that just nothing knocks aside. And so the only way to get her to realize what she was going through was for her body to send her pain. So we worked with that. I want to ask you, what are you carrying right now that you need to rid yourself of before the clock strikes midnight wherever you are? And at least in Western countries, it becomes the new year. I'm aware that in Asia, it's different times on the calendar, but let's just play this for now. What do you need to stop carrying around? One of my favorite chapters out of one of my favorite books, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, by the way, that was a sporting term of the day, where this is the crowd in the Colosseum, shall we say, or any sporting event. That's, those are called the cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let's throw off weights. Well, runners used to, I don't know if they do this today or not, because as striking and as um, surprising as this may be to you, I'm not a runner. Um, I, I own a vehicle. Uh, so... Anyway, when you see runners, they tend not to be carrying much. They tend to be carrying and wearing as little as possible not to weigh them down. Well, used to be, especially back in these days, runners would train with weights. And I have seen runners, and I'm, I believe that they may be reservist or other forms of military service where they need to keep sharp, where they're carrying a backpack and they're running and I'm, I'm going, you know, all power to you. It looks tough. But on a race day, you take those off. That way it runs, you run faster, better, longer. And he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Whatever your race is, whatever challenge has been placed ahead of you, let's get rid of some things so that we can do better. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, we sang that song, and Ray focused us back on that song. The, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He was looking at the joy. He would go through the cross to get there. Scorning at shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. So that you don't grow weary and lose heart. What do you need to take away. Let's start with one example. Our safe harbor has been around for just over three years, and a lot of us, a lot of you, and a lot who come to the soundstage, um, have been hurt by churches. We've been hurt by church leaders. We've been hurt by church doctrines that were twisted and became power plays. 
we've been hurt by churches that maybe they were run by one family or one group, and so you're never really in there. Many of you have written me about this, and we have exchanged emails and sometimes even phone calls about your, your pain, the, what you went through, judgment, isolation, guilt trips, pressure, and more. And it hurts you, and your pain is real, and it's a signal that there is something very, very wrong. And even though you have every right to feel pain, and so do I from time to time, is the pain benefiting you, or is it holding you back? I've told a story many times. I'll try to be as brief as possible. Uh, hadn't been back in America for long when a man wanted to drive me somewhere to visit somebody. We got in the car, and a man pulled out in front of us to where we had to lock up the brakes. Well, the driver had to lock up the brakes. Uh, he had, the car that cut us off was a super expensive car, and the guy that was driving the car was one of these super rich guys, because you could tell by the way he... He was dressed, and the car, and the smug look, and you know, one of those punchable faces? Not that we would. Not that we would. But I don't know how to describe it elsewhere. And the, my friend had locked up the, the brakes, laid on the horn, and the guy you know, signaled that we were number one, shall we say, as he drove off. Fifteen minutes later, my, my friend was still fuming about this. And I said, how long have you known the guy? And he said, well, I don't know him. And I said, well, then why have you invited him into your car for the last 15 minutes. If you don't know him, don't carry him. This is hard for some people to do, and I guess maybe I've been helping people do this all my life. That helps me somewhat, but hey, I'm not immune from it either. I, I have the emotional pain caused by churches too. The former pastors, former ministers, priests, and the like, would fill up stadiums in any large city in America because it's that common. We have pain for a reason. But when our pain centers around in something and it doesn't benefit us, that's a problem. The late Dr. Paul Brand was an MD who specialized in surgical repair of people who had leprosy. Uh, Philip Yancey watched him and worked with him for some time. And there was a book, I don't know if it's in print anymore, called Pain, the Gift No One Wants. And see, with leprosy, some people think when you get leprosy, parts of your body die and fall off. That's not true. What happens with leprosy is that you no longer feel your body. Therefore, little cuts, big cuts, open wounds, you don't feel. And therefore, they get infected and then tissue begins to fall. You lose the ability to feel pain. So pain is a gift. But whenever it isn't helping you, it might be time to drop it if you can. If you have rheumatoid arthritis, you can't drop it. I get that. I'm talking here about emotional, spiritual pain. Cammy and I, because we'd just been hurt rather badly, we decided we needed to celebrate. And so the next two years, we actually celebrated the date that we were fired that hurt us. And we gathered our friends and we ate sweet things and we had a great time. And it seemed to be good to celebrate God and God's goodness to us, turning it, you know, our pain into something very wonderful. But this year we looked at each other and said, enough. We don't need to do this anymore. God's put us in a place. We're good. We're over it. We don't want to go back to where we were. 
We like what we're doing. We're not going to benefit ourselves or others by bringing up old wounds. That pain will not help us. In other words, fact is we are blessed and we know it. And so we decided to drop it and move on. It doesn't need to be carried anymore. Today, there will be three people offering prayers. And they'll do it all very differently because they're very different people. But we're going to offer prayers as we remove things from our backpack, things we don't need to be carrying into the new year. And we're going to start with Al May, and he's going to lead us through three short prayers to help us let go of the pain caused to us, those of us who have been harmed by churches, by uh, church leaders, or by the people within those churches. Brother Al, would you come on up, please? Today, <clears throat> excuse me. Today, I'm going to ask all of you to listen. And then I'm going to ask you to participate with me as far as you are able to do. I'm asking you to do something difficult. And today, something that may be impossible for some of you. To forgive church leaders who have harmed you. Now, forgiveness and trust are two different things. I am not suggesting that you put yourself under their proximity, authority, or control. I am not recommending a restoration of a relationship. I am asking you, is it time to leave this behind? I believe forgiveness is a three-step process. First, there is the preparation to make a choice to forgive. Secondly, is the, the conscious choice to forgive the people. And thirdly, releasing of our hearts and our minds to lay our burdens down. Jesus said early in his ministry to forgive our enemies. And sadly, we jump to the end of his ministry as he hangs on a cross and says, forgive them. But in between those two events, he spun on Peter with anger and called him Satan. He called the leaders of his day to their faces, vile, evil hypocrites. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he came unglued in sweaty blood in his process to forgive. Only then... Did he say, forgive them? You have been hurt by church leaders, and so have I. Manipulated, lied to, and lied about. I've been abused. I've been fired and literally slapped by church leaders. So I understand the horror of the pain that you have survived. 
Jesus has led me through the process to the point of choosing to forgive all those individuals. Now he's leading me to do the work of forgiving them, of forgiving those men and women. I don't say this boastfully. It's only by God's grace that I'm at the place I am today. I've committed many of the same sins against others in times past. So in many respects, I'm very unqualified to lead this prayer. I'm simply a sinner saved by grace. For today's purpose, I'm dividing harmful leaders into three different categories. The first is a good and human leader. They're having a bad day, a difficult time in their life, but they ignore you or they speak harshly to you. And their intent is not to be unkind, and yet they are. You are hurt because this is your spiritual guide. My part of the three prayers will be as a liturgy. The words will be on the screen so you can keep your eyes open. I will lead you and then ask you to verbally join with me. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we are sinners and need your forgiveness. As we strive to follow you, soften our hearts toward those who have harmed us, though unintentionally. Father, help me say these words. All of us, I forgive. Amen. The second category of the harmful leader is the most complex often good and bad. This leader is often ingrained in a world-based leadership system. She is the leader. He is the boss, and you will obey. These leaders are often steeped in the sacred cows of church doctrine, the sacred traditions that we have added to scripture what Jesus what Patrick refers to as the Jesus ands can I play a guitar and sing amazing grace at the same time can a woman be a pastor does the Eucharist really change into the body of Christ can I be a part of this assembly of God's people and not speak in tongues? You ask these questions and others like them. And watch kind, benevolent people turn into vicious killers of your spirit. Again, the prayer will be on the screen. Dear Jesus, this is getting harder. He turned his back on me. She attacked my child. My spiritual guides cursed me. I sought their guidance and they banished me. I ache. My sorrow is overwhelming. 
But while I'm still stinging, I want to move forward in your grace. Therefore, I choose to say, I forgive. Amen. The third type of harmful leader is the dictator, hoarding power, money, the demigod. The church exists to serve them. Here we find the molester, frankly the rapist. Here is the murderer and all those that protect and shield them. Let us pray. My safe, protective, loving, eternal shepherd, why did you let this happen? Where were you? Do you have any idea what hell I've been through? My head knows you understand, but my heart struggles with trusting you and your leaders. I have much more healing to do, and yet I want to lay this burden down. Therefore, I will say, I forgive. Amen. May God bless you in your journey of healing. Thank you, Al. It's hard to actually forgive, and Al used a word there, um, process, process. That's, forgiveness is not an event. It is a process. Uh, you have to work your way there. He also brought something else up that's very, very, very important, and that is that forgiveness is not the same as trust. It does not require you to reestablish a relationship that harmed you. Uh, if I, if Cammy and I still had kids at home and we hired a church member as a babysitter, found out that they had abused the children, we can, if the person repents, we can go through the forgiveness process, but we're not bringing them in to care for the children again. Forgiveness does not mean you reestablish everything the way it was. Sometimes to forgive, you need ceremony. And for some of you, we can do this internally. We can go through all of it internally. But for many people, they really need movement and ceremony. As uh, Dr. Hunter and I have, have been talking about the book of Mark and going through that on Wednesdays, we'd love for you to, to join in with us. We've come across a couple of miracles where Jesus didn't just heal them, but he went through ceremony, you know, putting stuff on people's eyes and rubbing it. And why would he do this? Because some people need it. So sometimes I would pray when I did the counseling thing, the burdens were pretty rough. And I, before I left, I'd have my hands out like this and I would talk to God about what I'd done that day and how I didn't really think I'd done it much good here, there, or the other, and it could have done that better, but whatever it is, I said, now, I need to go home now, because I have a wee girl that wants to play, and I have a pretty wife that doesn't need to hear all of this, so I'm going to walk out of here, and I would turn my hands upside down, and I'm dropping this in your lap, and I'll show up again, but not today. Sometimes you need that. Sometimes you can uh, write a letter and then burn it 
or bury it, whatever it takes, find a way that works for you. Jesus said something, and, and it is a, it's a measuring stick that we need to um, have, keep lying around so that we know where's this pain coming from. Uh, in Matthew chapter 11 is where we're going, and you know the passage, but I don't know if you've ever used it as, a, as an instrument which is a, what the psychologists call a way of measuring a situation. You know, the, um, well, if you've been in pain and the doctor goes, one to 10, where's your pain? You know, that, that's kind of what we're going for here. In Matthew 11, verses uh, 28 through 30, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. So you have to ask, am I at rest? Many people come to church and end up not being at rest. Many people find great rest there, by the way. So we're, we're just talking about if this applies to you. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I, I got to ask the question then. What is, what is religion and church and all of that put on you? Does it feel easy and light or is it a burden? And if it is a burden, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a wrong thing. It could be that you're resisting God. I mean, we got to work through all of that. But the burdens on you don't come from Jesus. They come from others and maybe even yourself, but not from him. We can use that as a tool to say something's wrong. There's pain in the system. Something is wrong. Let's find out what is causing this. And this is what the word means, dis-ease. And then see whether pain is helping us or hindering us. Jesus promises. The world demands. That's how you can tell the difference. One of the things that we shrinks and ex-shrinks will often ask people. We say, when that voice is in your head, who does it sound like? Sometimes it sounds like a dad or a mom or an aunt or a teacher or a preacher. Sometimes it sounds like family. But Jesus said, I'll give you comfort. And even promised in John chapters 15 and 16. And if you've not just read John 14, 15, and 16, you ought to do it. It's just, it'll give you comfort. And Jesus said, I will send a comforter, a paraclete in the Greek, which means somebody that will walk alongside you and share your, your load. You know, we just came out of Christmas. Hope you had a great one. Some of you didn't. We get that. Families can lay heavy burdens on us all. I saw on Twitter and Facebook before we even got into the season, here's the way to talk to your parents about this politics or that politics, or here's the way to not talk to them about. And I'm going, wow, who wants to walk into that? And yet they kind of make you, don't they? They shut all the stores, and then you're required to go visit people that you've successfully avoided for 364 days. And then on telly, all, you don't have options. You're gonna, you can watch the, the Lions lose, usually, or, you, that's, or a parade or something. But this is it. This is all you've got. Those closest to you can hurt you the most. If I were to get an email, and, and I get them every so often. It's not nearly as bad as it used to be. And it makes an attack on me. Okay, fair enough. But if it were to come from my wife or from Dave Cassidy or Kirsten or, or somebody that knows me, that would have been brutal. We all get that, don't we? 
that was closest can hurt you most. And I would go into the ways that they could hurt you, but we all know them, and the list would be a very long one. So whether it was parents, siblings, or children that caused your pain, I think it's time to lay that down too. Maybe hand it off to God and say, God, you've got this, however you have to do that. I've asked our dear sister Barbara to come up and lead us in a prayer just to help us lay aside our family pain. Pray with me. Father, sometimes when those we love the most hurt us, it feels so big, and it is. During those times, Father, help us to remember. Help us to remember that you are the God who heals and forgives and restores and loves. Help us to remember your promises to us. You've got burdens, come to me. I'll help you. Help us to remember, Hagar, you're the God who sees us. And when the world is so dark, help us to remember you are the light of the world. And when we feel so alone, help us to remember your promise to us. I am with you, always, even to the very end. We love you so much. And we pray in the sweet name of Jesus, help us to remember. Amen. One of the hardest things that, that you could possibly do is set boundaries. You know, after a while, you, you've got to learn to say, no, hither shalt thou come and no further, as God said about his boundaries in Job. But you also have to, you know this, we have to keep working to make sure that they're the right boundaries. And that if we're making exceptions, that it really is an exceptional case. And that we're keeping our boundaries. And I worked with a man for several years up in Rochester, Michigan, uh, named John Laster. And John and I worked well together. And I still think the world of John. And he told me something which I have used of almost every week, if not every day, since then. He'd look at me and say, Patrick, no is a spiritual word. You're allowed to use it. And then he'd go further. And he'd say, no is also a complete sentence. You don't have to defend it. Just say no. The ability to say no is one of the greatest skills a person can ever acquire. It really is. We just came through a season where they all threw things at us. You got to buy this. You got to have this. You got to get this. You got to. Well, saying no was a good thing. Now they're coming at you because they know what you ate like over Thanksgiving and Christmas. And now it's all gym memberships and diet plans and such. And then when they're done with that in America, they go into what they call white sales, which means now we need to talk about your bed linens. It's just and then you get close to Valentine's Day, and they'll say, you've got to have a boyfriend or girlfriend. You've got to have the chocolates. You've got to buy this insanely creepy, large, plush thing and give it to somebody. Learn to say no. No. I don't need to carry that. I don't need to carry that with me. 
Of course, learning how to say yes at the right time is a very helpful, healthy and helpful skill. And getting the balance right is something we're all going to be working on probably for the rest of our lives. And by the way, if you're not working on it, you're probably out of balance. Because this is something, it's like flying a helicopter. I've never flown a helicopter. I've never ridden in a helicopter. I've only ridden in a helicopter simulator and was sick enough to where I called upon Jesus to smite everyone within a five-mile area. Um, In love, but smiting still. My father, who um, had flown in them uh, during the Korean conflict, talked about them, and he said, I don't like them. He says, helicopters are like balancing a bowling ball on the tip of a pen. He said, you are never at rest. You are fighting forces the entire time just to keep it in the air, which may be one of the reasons why I don't fly helicopters. But regardless, that's kind of what life is like. Get the balance. Balance your yes. Balance your no. I recently spoke to a lady who has been a pleaser all of her life, and it has caused a great many burdens to build up in her backpack. And she would talk to me about setting boundaries, and I encouraged her by telling her about that magic word, no, but also letting you, talking to her about who she was and who you are. Every individual is a unique, once seen, never seen again, individual created by the hands of a loving God. Red and yellow, black and white, up and down, whatever their politics, they are important to God and they are therefore important to us. But when it comes to setting boundaries, if you don't set boundaries, you're letting other people take over your life and erasing that unique creation of God. You're letting them erase you. Don't do that. Learn to say no if it is going to start erasing part of your personality and your joy, your ability, your, as Hebrews put it, your race, your path. I love it that when Paul knows he's about to be executed, he writes Timothy and he says, I have finished my course. I have run my race. Yeah, yours. Don't let somebody else erase you. Think of it this way. I often used to visit the home of seniors before I became one. And I've seen the piles of requests. Because once you give to one charity, what happens? Somebody finds out that you do that. I can remember in one particular case, a lovely family in West Virginia where we were at the time. And I walked in and I don't know, 12, 20 different charities on envelopes on their table and they're reading them and they're looking at the picture of the sad child or the, uh, the diseased dog or whatever it is. And, and they looked at me and they said, how do we, how do these people need help? And we should be, and I, I said, all right, you need to learn how to say no. These all may be very legit. They may be very charitable. They may actually do the best with the least money. We think we have found that with uh, one generation away and grace works here in our area. And we look for them elsewhere. We have a young lady in New Jersey who takes care of veterans and that could not be at a lower cost than she's doing it because she's doing it with heart and donations and what comes in goes out. There's nothing kept. It's amazing. We look for that. 
but you can't do it all. You just cannot. You may love puppies, but you're going to find out that there are about 40 different organizations that say they do too, and they need your support. My suggestion is pick one. Keep your heat on in your house. Buy your medications. Eat properly and toss the rest because you can't do it all. Remember this, shall we? Jesus didn't die as the most popular person in Judea. He didn't save everybody when he was alive. We hope he saves all later, but here's the point I'm trying to make. You're not going to win everybody over, and you can't do everything. So we do what we can, where we are, with what we have. The rest we can recycle. Nobody should forget this. The world demands. Jesus promises. The world demands. Appetites demand. Screens demand. My wife and I like to watch a lot of British and um, European TV on streaming services. And they've now got the American disease of now in every drama, when the, at the exact right time, and we finished our discussion, a cell phone rings with the next important thing. And I'm going, we all know that's not how it works. They go off when you haven't had your discussion yet, or you're not done. Screens demand. Culture demands. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I think maybe Proverbs 4 would be a good idea about now. Proverbs 4, verses 23 through 26. Keep, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Older versions said, make level paths for your feet. In other words, don't make it harder than it has to be. Sometimes that means we don't listen to the world anymore. We're going to just listen to God and ask God for wisdom, which James says, God never fails to give if you ask. Wisdom, discernment, the right boundaries, and a release from the burdens that the world has piled on us with our permission because we went along with it. Let's not do that any longer. We've asked our dear friend and colleague, Rick Hunter, to come and pray for this particular gift of God. Brother? a short reflection and then a prayer on Proverbs and probably what we'll realize is that every time we go into the word of God there's so much it's like a piece of luggage that you overpack and uh, you're trying to get to the airport and only 
check one bag and it doesn't go over 50 pounds, hopefully. So you pay and you just pack it and it starts busting and the seams start coming apart and you realize that was a bad idea to begin with and you go through all those changes and then you declare you're gonna do better next time, but next time you do the exact same thing. There's a lot to pack in here, or, um, in that text in Proverbs, but a, a many thought of it would be this unpacking, unpacking the backpack and going forward without carrying weight that God never designed for the human body to carry. And that's what he's talking about in Psalms. We are uh, wonderfully made, spiritually made. We're not designed. Our bodies are just not. To give you a good example of that, have you ever been at work and you see two people talking at the water cooler and in your head you get it locked in that they're talking about me? I know they're talking about me, and that starts wigging you out in all different kind of ways till you finally cannot help it anymore, and then you ask one of them what was going on. They're talking about something totally different. A month earlier, they had nothing to do with you. That's the struggle of life, and that gets built into us not by the way God moves us through, but the way that life impacts and squeezes us as we're going day by day. But with this thought, Proverbs or the Proverbs of Solomon. Proverbs, Proverbs basically means learning from those who have learned. Learning from those who have learned. That's what Proverbs, when you look at that title, learning from those who have learned. Now, as parents, for all of you that are parents in here, that was your wish for your children, that they would learn from what you had already learned and not made the same mistakes that you made so that they wouldn't kind to spend half their life climbing out of some of the holes and the pits and the struggles that you had made of your life. You pray, you pray, and then after a while you, you give up. You don't really give up praying, but you halfway give up praying because they're going off on the direction all their own. Uh, and then finally they come around the mountain back and say, you know what, Mom, I'm sorry for what I put you through. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. I see I, see I was wrong. Uh, please forgive me. Let me come back home. Give me some money. Help me out. Pat me on the head. Whatever it is. I got it. I learned it when they go through it. Proverbs, and to understand what happens in Proverbs 4, it's important to understand Proverbs 31. You remember the Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman, I think the text is virtuous woman, and it says that this is the prophecy of King Lemuel, King Lemuel, and they believe that King Lemuel was Solomon. And so King Lemuel says, I'm writing you what my mother told me, what my mother taught me. And if King Lemuel is actually Solomon, which 98% of the scholars believe that he is, his mother is whom? Oh, y'all talk to me a little bit, just, just right here. Bathsheba. His mother was Bathsheba. Now, instantly in your head, I know you're going, oh, my God, uh, uh, that's who we're talking about here? So when Bathsheba's name come up in your circles, how do you, re how do you respond? How do you, how do you talk about her? Bathsheba, oh, she's that. She's that. She's the, whatever word you use in your circle describes someone like her. Bathsheba's that. But then realize that for Bathsheba in her day to say no to a request from the king could mean death, and most likely would mean death. It could mean exile. It could mean destruction of your family. And when I mean destruction, 
I don't mean messing all your money up. I mean literally pulling your life up and your family's life apart brick by brick, piece of wood by piece of wood, one person at a time, literally pulling it apart. Bathsheba is important to this story because of who she was. She is important because of what happened to her. She's also important because of who she was married to. Do you remember who her husband was? Uriah. Uriah the Hittite. Okay, now look at me like, yeah, we know him. We, yeah, we, we remember him from somewhere along. Her husband was Uriah the Hittite. All right? Now, Uriah was a part of a group called the Mighty Men or the Mighty 30. Okay? Now, the Mighty 30 are like the, C, uh, the CIA to the president. They were like the president's CIA or they were like SEAL Team 6 okay, for the president. That's, that's what the Mighty Men were. That's them. Uriah was one of them. Well, and that, so he was protection. He was a personal bodyguard for David. On one occasion when David was fighting to recapture Bethlehem and the things that were going on, the fight was going hard and they were not, it was not looking good. David was about to give up. He sat down and said, oh, what I wouldn't give for a drink of the water from Bethlehem. Because that's where God, that's Christ, Bethlehem. The mighty men got together. When they, they heard David say this, they fought all the way through the armies of the Hittites fought all the way through the armies, all the way into Bethlehem, got him some water from that well, fought their way all the way back to David, gave him the water. And David said, how can I drink this water when I know what it costs you to do that for me? And he poured the water out. That's integrity. That is integrity of David realizing I'm not worthy of this. And so we've already had it written, uh, read to us, but Proverbs 4 and 20, my son, give attention to my words, incline your ear to my sayings, and then verse 23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issue of life, put away from you a deceitful mouth and perverse lips. And we're hoping, we're hoping that those that we come in contact, we have something worth saying too, and we're hoping that they will listen, not just hear, I heard you say something, but I'm not listening to what you said. Can any of you feel that agony again? Am I causing any of you flashbacks from your cousin or kids or something? I know they heard me, but I know they're not listening. How many of you have said that? I know you said that about your kid. I know they heard me. I know we go, yeah, 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 but I know they're not listening. As soon as that hit that wall, you know what? I didn't think you knew what you were talking about, but now I realize, okay. And so this thing of heart and life means to be of dedicated heart means personality, it means decision, it means understanding, it means emotions. And this thing of life means speech. Um, you know, level your path, I think, uh, when Dr. Mead was, was calling, make a level path. That speech, uh, not just, don't think of it just in terms of what's laying in front of you, but your speech lays paths. Your eyes set what's in front of you. That's why we stumble when we're looking away from where we're moving. Uh, 
our, and our heart, our feet are set for wisdom. And so he's saying these words are important. This text of the Bible, this is just not words on a page of any book. These are God-inspired truths. This is God-inspired in your life that God works on and moves us through. And so our prayer. Father, give us a heart of wisdom to make wise choices. And when two paths seem equal, I pray you will help you will help me to trust and to trust you. Give me a heart that is willing to obey you, to respond in faith to the wisdom you, that you give and the wisdom that is you. Be with me always to put myself behind you. We thank you, Lord. Amen. As we close this out, we hope you have a happy new year. We pray that God will bless you with grace and peace in abundance. But it's not going to work that way if you don't check your backpack first and start leaving some things behind. And like Dr. Hunter said, sometimes you're going to think you cleaned it out only to find out later, oh, there was a pocket I didn't check. Well, don't let the world and its ways enslave you. You are free in Christ. Do not let churches and pastors lay heavy burdens on you. You are free in Christ. Do not let the devil remind you of your past or your present faults. Instead, remind him of your future and his. You are free in Christ. As scripture says, and as Carol read for us today, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves again be burdened by a yoke of slavery. And then in verse 6, Galatians 5, For in Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. Here we go. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. If somebody's poured something else into your backpack, it's time to let it go and leave it there. We're going to close with an old hymn out of Appalachia. It is, it is about his country. It's the first song we did. And Lee, thank you for sending that in. That was great. But normally, this is a song I have not heard in years. But I do hear it in my head. I've helped people clear houses after people's death. And you see all this stuff that nobody wants. And it's hard to even give it away. I've learned to start winnowing in my life and get things out of my life. And there are times I've walked into a store with the intention of buying something and I'll hear this little hymn, leave it there, leave it there. I'm sure that's not what they meant, but that's what we're going to sing about. Let's see, I'm going to raise that one. If this world from you withhold of its silver and its gold,